0: This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. This week on Meetin 3, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard.
1: It's cold, but it's wet and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers
0: of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes twenty five percent of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the winter time, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy actually for the bikes to sing upside down, or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So as you were just hearing, it certainly is the dead of winter right now. It's actually a very cold day, day today in Brooklyn, um, and it's actually still in the Lunar New Year. Um, Chinese New Year is, you know, goes on for seven days, so it'll still be the year of the pig um, celebrations for another couple days, So uh, my guest today is a Chinese-American, and (laughs) she's laughing, (laughs) but she was last here actually to talk about her first book maybe five years ago?
0: Six years ago. Six
1: years ago, and that was the Chinese takeout cookbook. So Gongxi Fatai, Diana Kwan.
0: Hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course.
1: And um, your new book, okay, the follow-up. It is a cold day as, as as I was saying, but you will be warmed by it. It is called Red Hot Kitchen, classic Asian chili sauces from scratch and delicious dishes to make with them. So, congrats. Thank you. So, this is this tackles 9 sauces from from China, Japan, Korea, what else? Thailand, mm-hmm. Indonesia. Indonesia. Yep. And there's like a Hong Kong specific sauce. Yep. There's a Sichuan specific sauce. So, a lot of a lot of sauces in here mm-hmm. um but I I want to ask you first and foremost because you have recipes for the sauces themselves mm-hmm. as well as dishes to make with them so and some of these things are like pretty pretty amazing like uh pretty intense you know like there's some simpler sauces like the Sichuan chili oil um which I've made before but then you have goju chuang mm-hmm. it's you ferment for a month or so? Yeah,
0: there's two versions of gojuchang, actually. There's a version that is um, fermented, mm-hmm. and that takes about two months to get um, you know, a good enough flavor. And then there's a quick and easy version that you do at home, and there's a really simple shortcut you can do ah, with it. Ah,
1: very sneaky. Um, I love having that option, um, because I actually wanted to ask you, why do you think people would should... Uh, make chili sauces as opposed to buying the red tub of gochujang or the bottle of whatever?
0: Well, the... Biggest reason I have for making my own is I can always customize them um, to the ideal level of spiciness that I want. Like sometimes, you know, the chong that I get at the grocery store isn't spicy enough, or it's like a little bit too um, smoky, and I want it a little bit more balanced. So it's it all depends on what kind of flavor you're mm-hmm. looking for, and the more you make it, the more you're um, able to tweak it to however you'd like. And it's also a cost thing too. Like for example. Um, for something like ExoSauce, um, a really good bottle of XO sauce can set you back like 70 US dollars. Whereas if you make it at home, you can make just like a huge, huge jar of it for a fraction of the ah, cost.
1: But one of those ingredients in ExoSauce is the dried scallops, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That that pungent, fishy flavor. Mm-hmm. Um I've seen dried scallops going for a crazy amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> they run the gamut. Yeah, right? it can cost like a hundred dollars
0: a pound for fancy ones. For fancy ones, but you don't like those big fancy ones are usually the ones that people give for presents, like most likely like wedding presents. That's like a a status symbol in mm. Hong Kong. Um, but you can when you're making the sauce, you don't need like the huge fancy ones. You can just yeah, get like shredded scallops or smaller scallops for um, like much more budget friendly price.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking you know in this sauce uh it's gonna get mushed up with so many other yeah. things it's not about the dried scallops it's only. not about like the look of it and those i guess hundred dollar jars of exo sauce is i guess more of like a status thing too mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay well we can make our <laughs> you could make a hundred dollar jar i guess if you wanted but it's good again to for a hundred dollars you can make many jars <laughs> yeah, you can <laughs> customize and also play around with it um, so, okay, we wanted to back up and talk about, in the beginning, in the introduction, you write about how you traveled throughout Asia mm-hmm. when you were living in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you said you grew up eating Cantonese food, mm-hmm. which is not spicy. No, not spicy at all. Right. And so it was really when you went to Beijing that you really fell in love with, and I was intrigued by this, Sichuan food. Mm-hmm. Now, Beijing is pretty far from Sichuan province. It is. <laughs> But you write that it seemed like Beijingers subsisted on Sichuan food. Yeah, so there isn't,
0: like, a really a really strong um, Beijing cuisine like there are in um, other parts of China. Like, you have mm-hmm. imperial cuisine, and then you have, like, the much homier stuff, like, um, like really thick skin dumplings, really thick noodles, and those are, like, the basic, like, everyday eats. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, people don't subsist just on, like, dumplings and noodles. Um, they'll most, like, if you go to Beijing... On on any given street, there'll be just tons and tons of Sichuan restaurants, because I think they really kind of just took Sichuan cuisine as their own. Ah. And it's really easy to find amazing Sichuan food in Beijing. And it's also like a capital, so it draws a lot of people from uh, other provinces.
1: Wow. So when was this that you were living in? I was there um, from 2007 to early, like, 2009. Because I'm just trying to trace back, because, you know, 15 years ago in New York City, Sichuan food wasn't quite the sensation that it is today. Mm -hmm. It was much... And now it's like, you know, Sichuan food has really taken on in the U.S. in general. So I'm wondering when that maybe happened in Beijing where it became really popular... I'm not really sure. I'm gonna guess it's sometime between like the mid
0: '80s to like the mid 2000s um, mm-hmm. was when it uh, was before. Like Beijing wasn't that open to people that were from outside provinces, and then over time, because there were big snobs or what? Um, <laughs> well, actually, like China was kind of really divided between ah. people who lived in different provinces. So like, even if you wanted to move to a different city or a different town within China, you had to apply for. Um, for kind of like a, a visa almost. So you like we can't oh. you can't move around as freely as you can in, like the US. Got it. So but there was like a big construction boom in the in Beijing in like the nineties and two thousands, so a lot of people just sure. um, flooded in.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then so then why Sichuan food? Why did that one become so popular? Because there's distinct cuisines mm-hmm. from other places in Asia. Yeah.
0: And there are like various um other regional cuisines um, in Beijing. But I think it's just because it's a... Cuisine that's very e- like easy to make your own, and it's a little much more, I guess, friendly to palates that aren't used to spicy food, but still want like bold flavors. Like mm-hmm. I think I personally think it's a little bit more like beginner friendly than Hunan food, which is just like crazy spicy without, um, well, with a little bit less balance than um, than Sichuan food is, because mm. you can like tweak the amount of sugar in Sichuan food to make it a little bit um, more palatable. You can, which is what they do in Shanghai, which is used to a little like more um, like sweeter flavors, and then in Beijing you could like definitely tone it down a little. Mm-hmm. So the Be- the Sichuan food that you find in Beijing is a, like a tiny bit more toned down than the Sichuan food you can find in like Chengdu, hmm. but the um, it's definitely not as toned down as you can find in the U.S.
1: Ah, interesting. And then, of course, people from Hunan would be like, it's not spicy enough. <laughs> it's not intense <laughs> enough. <laughs> but, um, okay, so do you, what do you think about why did Sichuan food become so popular in the U.S.? Did it follow this trend or from Beijing, or it just... On its own merits, captivated people. Yeah, I think
0: it started becoming popular in the U.S. in like uh, in New York in the 1970s or so, um, and there were a lot of Sichuan restaurants. There were a lot of or Americanized Sichuan restaurants, and then Americanized Hunan slash Sichuan restaurants. And um, I, it all goes, goes back to how adaptable it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And there's a, a balance, like you mentioned. It's not just spicy. It's also, there's sourness, Mm -hmm. um, some vinegar involved. There's also mala. Yep. Yeah, so that's the Sichuan peppercorn. Yep, which is addictive on its own. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yeah, so, okay, you have a really fun um, history of the chili pepper, and um, not to be confused with Sichuan peppercorns. Mm -hmm. So how did peppers, chilies, that is, Mm -hmm. how did they get to Asia? So
0: um, chili peppers kind of originated in the Americas. Um, I think like Mexico was a huge, um, huge part uh, of it. And then also Brazil and like Bolivia, they were huge producers and Uh, like, during the age of, like, discovery, Uh um, there were, you know, we all know Christopher Christopher Columbus Columbus, and uh, the other Portuguese explorers, uh, he hit the Americas and thought he was in India, as (laughs) we all know, and he thought that um, what he we're seeing was pepper, like peppercorn pepper. and
1: strange confusion. So that's
0: the the distinction between, like, why we call them both chilies and peppers. Mm -hmm. And then he brought them back to Europe, where they were kind of just used as, like, ornamental plants. Because they were
1: afraid of the Yeah, they were just
0: like, what is this? This is kind of pretty. Let's just, like grow them okay
1: Didn't and, quite take off there. yeah yet. didn't
0: quite take off there but then the portuguese also went to goa in, um, india. in india where the cuisine was um ha- already had its own like nice blend of spices like cinnamon and cardamom mm-hmm. and uh, the goans actually like really uh took to uh chili peppers and started incorporating them into the cuisine and then from there um portuguese traders like i think indian traders and then um other european traders kind of brought uh, kind of just took them around southeast asia and to china and then i think the portuguese brought them to korea too and this was like in the this fifteen
1: sixteen hundreds. 1600s yep pretty recent pretty recent that's kind of amazing and i love that you know um people discovered plant the plant capsicum if you will or mm-hmm. chilies in um for many different uses not just flavoring things but also to preserve right mm-hmm. it helps to naturally preserve meats yep and uh, It has, like, natural antimicrobial properties, so
0: you can just make uh, a chili sauce, and then that'll last for a really long time, mm-hmm. and it'll help preserve your other foods, too.
1: And it tastes really good, and it's easy to grow, too, right? They grow mm-hmm. prolifically, yeah. so anyone who's grown a chili bush or two um, will hopefully find this book really fun. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about what, what, how did you pick nine sauces, for this book.
0: So there are obviously a ton of different hot sauces from around Asia and I didn't want to do kind of like an encyclopedia of them because that would just take like you know 10 years to do and just be volumes. So I wanted to do I wanted to focus on nine that were um, used as both condiments and cooking ingredients. So um, within like I guess the sambal family there are many, many, many different types of sambals. What, is, what
1: exactly is the sambal family? <laughs> so
0: sambal is um, the hot sauce that is used mainly in Indonesia and Malaysia. And they have a lot of different varieties um, that are used as condiments. But mm-hmm. sambal olik, which is like kind of like the plainest one, is also used as a cooking ingredient. So mm-hmm. you can use it in a lot of Indonesian and Malaysian dishes. And it's the one that's in the cookbook that's... Um, like the easy, one of the easiest
1: to make. Cool. I didn't know that because I always just buy the green cap rooster sample. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yep. So that's and a, that's yeah. like a constant in my fridge. So I would... Why? Okay. I, I'm glad I know that now. <laughs> um, But this one is very different be, than, you know, many other sauces because it has that bright red flavor and that bright tangy flavor too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then a more blended version is the sriracha. Mm-hmm. Is that an ensemble family, or am I wrong? Uh,
0: sriracha comes from uh, Thailand. It's like this coastal uh, Thai town, and the one that is, was originally made there, I think, it, like there was a woman who kind of um, marketed her own, and it became really popular from that Thai town. Um, and I think it only started. She only started like marketing in the, like the '30s. So but the Thai version of sriracha okay. is like mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a lot tangier than uh, the one that we know in the U.S., and it's a little bit more hmm. watery. Okay. Um, and then there was a Vietnamese immigrant from uh, who arrived in California, uh, David Tran, I think his name is. Yeah. And he started the that Sriracha company out of, like, a little storefront in L.A., and that became a, a huge business, and that's the Sriracha that we know now.
1: Okay. But so it's a little
0: bit different than it's the It's a little orig- different yeah. than
1: the original Sriracha. Yeah. And do you, have you been to some of the places and tasted their version of Sriracha? The OG, I guess, <laughs> version? <laughs> yeah, in Thailand you can uh-huh. find it pretty easily. Do they also have the American-born uh Rooster, Not David Tran, saw.
0: Sriracha? No. No. But they do, like, make, you know, like, a lot of different restaurants
1: in um, in Thailand make their own, like, house hot sauces. So. Wow. It's so amazing how ubiquitous that sauce has become in such a short time. hmm And just, like, all these stories have a fairly, I mean, sort of recent, like, um you know, origins. Um I just think it's so interesting that kimchi, which you have a great recipe for, is something we think of as red. But before there was chilies in Korea, kimchi was just It what? was just like a fermented cabbage. Right. Yeah. It's like sauerkraut. Yeah. Yeah. But um and they still do have that. You mm-hmm. can get that. Yeah. But it's not quite as fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I don't know where, you know, Korean cuisine would be now these days without right? chili peppers.
1: Yeah all that red. Oh my gosh. Um, We're going to talk about more of the sauces and the recipes right after a quick little commercial break. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. From Bombay to Buncombe and Asheville to Atlanta...
0: Chai Pani has extended the love of food, culinary experience and storytelling to the southeast. Founded by Meherwani and Mali Irani, Chai Pani restaurant group includes two locations of Chai Pani, plus MG Road Bar and Lounge, Botiwala, Buxton Hall Barbecue and their new spice company, Spicewala. Learn more about Chai Pani and watch their documentary series Cutting Chai at chaipanirestaurantgroup.com. That's
1: C-H-A-I-P-A-N-I-Restaurantgroup.com.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of the food scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more. All the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find The Food Scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
1: All right. We're back chatting more with Diana Kwan, author of her latest book, which is Red Hot Kitchen. Hi, Diana. Hi. All right. So you've been teaching classes about, uh, you know, cooking classes for 10 years or more. Mm Mm-hmm. and they're typically on all sorts of different, like, niches of Chinese cooking or mm-hmm. yeah. Asian, too. Mm-hmm. So why did you come up with this idea? Like, why, why just focus on spicy foods and sauces from all around Asia for this book? Um, the short answer, I guess, is
0: that I've, you know, offered a ton of different classes over the years. But I found that the ones that get, like people the most excited are the ones that really feature, like, bold, spicy flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in, like, the dumpling classes that I make, uh, that I do, the, we do um, a Sichuan wonton dish that people kind of just, like, go crazy for. <laughs> and it's, like, not usually a dish that you find in dumpling-making classes. But yeah. once people
1: taste the sauce, they're like, oh, my God. So, Cause, right. Yeah. That's amazing. Because um, once you make the wontons, then it's, all, it's just all about the sauce that makes it. Yeah. Because it's the wonton is normal. Yeah, the wonton not, is just normal. Like I didn't want to just do like the wonton soup. As that in, a in a the, lot like not know. spicy. Yeah. 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 And
0: it's just so easy to do, and then, um, but it's not something that people normally would think to make for themselves at home.
1: Um, right. But I right. wanted to like introduce people to that. So okay, that's on the cover of this book. So <laughs> it does look amazing. Um. Do, so you it has your chili oil, mm-hmm. which can you like briefly describe how to make this?
0: Yeah, so the oil itself, you can um, the Sichuan chili oil, you kind of um, heat oil in a pot for like a few minutes until it's just very hot.
1: Neutral veg oil. Yeah
0: like a high temperature cooking oil Mm -hmm. and then you take it off the stove and you put in a whole bunch of like crushed red chilies along with um, spices like uh, star anise and cinnamon and you can throw in like a bay leaf too and cloves um, and then kind of just let it sit and then the uh, oil is infused with like like all these different like chili flavors and then the aromas from the other spices Um, that is like a very shell stable um, chili oil and that you could just like leave for like up to a year um, and then you pair it you just mix in some like soy sauce some vinegar a little bit of like
1: Minced ah, garlic, for your
0: yeah, yeah, for the sauce, um, and then like Sichuan pepper too, and then you just coat it over your wontons.
1: Oh, I'm so hungry right now. Um, so but that oil that you're mentioning, it's like mm-hmm. an infusion. Would mm-hmm. you? Okay, you could also strain out the chunky stuff, like the yeah. spices. You can
0: also train, strain out the chunky stuff, but you don't really want to. Like, if you guys are have ever had like Lao Gan Ma before, um, which I is think just think like this Sichuan chili <laughs> crisp that's super popular in the US. Um, this is like a very <laughs> similar homemade version.
1: We had Anita Lowe on the show <laughs> a couple months ago, and uh, she brought up La Ganma in her book too, and she just gushed about it first. So yes, we definitely, we love La Ganma. So is that a chili oil type sauce? Yeah, it's ch- it's a really, really chunky, chunky. crispy So you chili can do oil. that using mm-hmm. your recipe, yep. and then just maybe straining out the oil. Yeah. And then you can have the separate oil, mm-hmm. sort of like this... This thing that I'm looking at on this table here at Roberta's, they have this red-infused oil that you can drizzle on your pizza. Yeah. So it just
0: depends on whether you want, like, chunky, crispy stuff on your food or just, like, a plain
1: uh, Mm. chili oil. And, as you mentioned in the beginning, you can tweak things to your own taste. So you can put other stuff in it here, too. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions? Because I didn't know about the... Uh, cinnamon mm-hmm. you had star anise and yeah. you also had cloves or something Clothes, yeah cloves yeah, yeah i didn't think of that one mm-hmm. anything else i could put
0: um you can also like switch out the um the sichuan pepper for like green sichuan pepper which kind of has like this you know very sharp numbingness
1: oh it is yeah it's like a stronger. little bit sharper yeah okay yeah my sichuan peppercorns are red mm-hmm. so it's not nu- it's milder yeah okay um. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just like dreaming of making my next version. Uh, all right. So I love how you have recipes in here that are not just, uh, you know, you mentioned your, your wonton recipe, really classic things to make with and pair with these sauces. Mm-hmm. But you have some unexpected ones too, and they're not always Asian recipes. Like this, exos um, sauce. Pizza? Mm-hmm, yep. So the great thing about um, sauce is that even though
0: it takes, like, a little bit longer to make than the other sauces, like, once you have this, like, umami, fl- like, packed jar, um, you don't really need that much extra when you go and, in- when you make things. So I make, like, a, um, a flatbread pizza by just, like, Uh, baking it like slathering uh over with like exo sauce and some like crispy shallots and Brussels sprouts Mm. and it's like a really good like you know impromptu pizza um and i should
1: fun is that your own invention yeah
0: (laughs) and i should also mention that um even though the uh the traditional exo sauce has like Shrimp and scallops and bacon. I also have a vegan XO sauce in there that has, like, uh, shiitake mushrooms and shallots. And it's a really garlic. Good, yeah, and it's, like, very umami-rich as well.
1: Cool. I love it. Um, Yeah, that's the one sauce that is traditionally, in this book, not quite vegetarian-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, no, wait. Is there a nam... What was it? There's the- a vegan uh, nam prick pow as well. So that's a really pasty... Thai sauce. Yeah, and
0: that right. traditionally has um, fish sauce in it, mm-hmm. um, which definitely has like this umami pungency.
1: That's one that I've never made because it seems to have a lot of ingredients in it that mm-hmm. you would typically or traditionally pound in a mortar and pestle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you do that yourself? Mm-hmm. You do? it.
0: it I do. <laughs> um, well, if I'm feeling like I Need to? I can like skip the gym that day. I could just like pound the sauce. If you're feeling like, angry at someone <laughs> <Yeah>. that day, <laughs> but you can also just like throw it in a food processor too, which is yeah, not yeah. traditional, but it saves you some, no. you know. There's, arm a, there's a
1: lot of stuff in there. I love it. Um, and then we didn't talk about Thai red curry paste, which mm-hmm. you have here too. Yep. Another one of those things I find yep. tough to get my head around. But you can also pound. <laughs> you can also pound or not. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And then you have this. Wonderful. I, I mean, I need to make this tonight. Thai red curry coconut mussels dish. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorites. And that's, it's so easy to make, too. I know, I know. I love how, like, just having these sauces on hand means that you can make just, you know, just add a dab. And then you have, you're set to go with so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, one sauce in here is uh, green. And that's yes. the yuzu koshu, yes. kosho. Yes. So this means yuzu, the citrus, and then kosho means chili in Mm -hmm. Japanese. Um, So yuzu kosho is also just one of these sauces that
0: uh, is uh, kind of like exo sauce. It's very unique in that it comes from a cuisine that is not... Traditionally known for having spicy food. Mm-hmm. So it and it's one of the ones in this book that you mentioned that that uses green chilies. Um, and then in Japan, normally you would use um, the yuzu fruit, which you can't really find here, but you can find um, you can use Meyer lemons and limes, a combination of those two um, to get the juice, or you can use um, store bought yuzu juice. Mm-hmm. And it goes great on Japanese food, um, but because it also has um, green chilies, it also. I found works really great on Mexican food.
1: I had no idea it was so easy too, so you take the zest and the juice mm-hmm. and chilies, yes, and you blend it, yeah, or That's... pound it together, okay or pound <laughs> it again. I love it, um, and then, okay, so why did so Japan doesn't really have much? Spicy food. Mm-hmm. How did this one, and where in Japan did this come from? So
0: it came from an area that actually did a lot of trading with Southeast Asia. Which so it actually ended up getting um, a lot of like, they they got like uh, green chilies as a as a trade. So it became just really popular in this area, mm. and they started like incorporating it into like uh, like udon soup, and
1: it it was, it was served over like fish. It would be served over chicken. So. I find it really interesting that even though chilies have really spread throughout the world, especially in places like Korea, China, North, South, Japan seems to be a holdout <laughs> yeah. for chili peppers, with the exception of this like yeah. yuzu kosho.
0: But we know it. from like wasabi that they're not, you know, opposed to okay. strong, strong flavors. Sure,
1: sure. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting, but um, this this one sauce is definitely spicy, mm-hmm. and you can adjust the levels yeah. of which you can just have yuzu paste mm-hmm. too <laughs> if mm-hmm. you don't even like. Yeah, it. but that would be no fun. Um, Diana, I know that you traveled a little bit for this book, in addition to you know having lived there in the early aughts mm-hmm. or whenever that was, um, and traveling then. Uh, what what did you discover? Like what what was one of the things that like you're just like yes i have to put this in my book
0: um, before, um, when I was like coming up with the idea of the book, I didn't. I had like all these different like uh, Thai um, chili uh, chili sauces in mind. But I didn't really like think of um, Chinese sauces as much, like other than <laughs> like, like that's fish bar. Other, I really other than that. like Sichuan chili oil. But then uh-huh. I remembered that um, that XO sauce was like super, super, super popular in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and it's also unusual. So when I was in Hong Kong, I was like tasting all these different varieties, and I was like, oh. Yeah, that could be something that would be great to incorporate. And it's one of those sauces that people make so differently depending yeah. on the restaurant and the who and the the household and whoever's like um making it to sell to and there's like artisanal suppliers in hong kong that would make them out of like they would make like vegan versions they would make like steam versions like they would cool. kind of go crazy
1: yeah because there's a little sweetness in there mm-hmm. and certainly the dried you know garlic and onion and shallot or whatever would give it a little sweetness, too, mm-hmm. and rounder flavors. Um, I, I Do you think that exosauce is something that people are appreciating in your classes? It's less known than some of the others. I actually haven't taught exosauce oh, okay. in a class <laughs> yet,
0: <laughs> but I'm doing um, a lecture at the Brooklyn Brainery on um, on February 20th, and that will be like a, a chili text chili uh, lecture and tasting and that will be one of the sauces that'll have like they'll have people taste
1: oh cool and are you gonna demo them or it's like more of a talk and then show and yeah it'll be
0: more of a talk and show because the making it is a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah. intensive. well yeah you could pound on stage yeah. <laughs> it might be fun um okay so that's coming up february 20th yes where else what other classes you got coming up uh, I have a whole bunch coming up. There's going to be, like,
0: um, the usual, like, wonton dumpling classes. There'll be um, a Sichuan class. There'll be vegan Chinese cooking. Um Ooh. And then I'm also doing uh, a talk and tasting tomorrow at Books Are Magic in yeah. um, Cobble Hill, so that'll be like a, a book launch
1: nice. party. Nice. So where can everyone find your upcoming classes? Like, you
0: can go to BrooklynBrainery.com, mm-hmm. and there'll be a list of upcoming classes. And then I also do private classes, and people can just email me for those too.
1: Okay. So we'll email. We'll find you at Appetite for China for for your own. Yes. Private fun chili classes Mm -hmm. all right i can't wait oh my goodness um well i hope everyone uh gets a hold of this book and also if you're around brooklyn you can come to books are magic tomorrow diana will be with matt rodbard editor-in-chief of taste and that lecture chili lecture (laughs) the brainery um well i guess that's about all the time but thank you so much diana thank you for having me All right, I'm going to cook one of these things tonight. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter.